pray with me? Father, my heart is joyful on one hand. Got to see my kids and my grandkids, and it's a good Father's Day for me. On the other hand, my heart is heavy because I miss my dad. My heart is also heavy because I know that for some of the people that I love who are here this morning, this is a hard day. They didn't have a good father like I did. But I thank you that they do have a Heavenly Father who is infinitely good. And I pray, oh Heavenly Father, you would pour your infinite goodness on your children this morning as much as we can contain it. And thank you for that day as Keith Green wrote about in that song, when we will stand before you. And oh, how we'll know your love and your care for us like we never have and so much more than we have here on earth, I should say. So, Father, bless your people this morning, whatever the situation may be. Help them, bless them, strengthen them. And may we be what we are supposed to be. We live in a generation that we like to blame everybody else for our faults. Get us over that, Lord, and bring us to the place where we stand, where we live for Jesus, where we are the ones who are seeking your kingdom as we are supposed to as a priority. And then, Lord... uh, I want to pray for Robert Taylor this morning. And it looks like it's about time for him to go home to his reward. He's been a faithful servant all these years. I pray, Lord, whatever he's feeling right now is comfort and peace and the presence of God. I pray for his wife. I pray for his children. I pray for his friends. Give them comfort and strength. And, oh, Father... We also want to say that while there's breath, there is hope. And if it would please you to work a miracle and raise him up, we would say amen to that, wouldn't we, church? So bless him today. And we want to pray that you would help the suffering, help the grieving, help the hurting today. And as we leave here today, don't let us say we prayed for him. Lord, would you give us a chance to do something after we leave with what we've learned and what we've experienced today? And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated, and as you do, let's turn to the book of Proverbs. Today we're going to look at some things that the wisest man who ever lived had to say. Proverbs chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 1. But I want to ask some questions as we uh, get started in here. I check my time here. And uh, as we do this, we live in a world that we don't really fully understand. At least most of us don't. In fact, I think it's engineered that way. I think the things that are going on are kind of being orchestrated so that you can't understand them. And even if you do say you understand them and say the right answers, there'll be somebody that will say, what right do you have to even say you understand? And you'll be called a racist and a bigot and all kinds of things that go on. Man, it's kind of paralyzing. How did we get here? What happened? And as I was formulating this, I was thinking about uh, these questions. Why has this generation, uh, why is this generation rejecting our faith? Because the statistics are staggering at how many of them are abandoning the way that they were raised and abandoning the church and Christianity. Why is this generation, these things don't seem to always go together, angry, depressed, and at the same time victimized? They march on the streets, they throw bricks through windows, and at the same time they're depressed. 
And they are, uh, we live in an age where everybody's bullied for everything that might come along and nothing is ever anybody's fault. It's always somebody else's fault. They seem contradictory to me, at least the way I think. Why the violence? All we've heard in all these years, I mean, listen, some of you are getting old, okay? And you used to be a part of the hippie generation. And all I am asking is give peace a chance. Remember that? I don't. I was too too young, but you do, right? And it's all about love and flower power and all of that. What's the fruit of all of that? Riots? Burning? Bricks through windows? Fear? What in the world? Something has gotten off track. And what we've been doing for the last generation or two hadn't been working out so well because we're seeing the fruit of all of this now. That's why we need to go back to the Bible. And why the division? I mean, listen, we've been talking about race relations and all of these kind of things all of these years. I mean, wouldn't you think we'd kind of be over that by now? Wouldn't you think we would have figured out how to get along? And yet things seem to be getting worse. What in the world is going on? So this uh, passage that I was reading the other day spoke to me about all of this. And there are six things that Solomon brings out in here that I have observed are not all being uh, placed into the hearts of our children and they don't really, uh, they're not the things that really rule our families. In fact, quite the opposite, even among families in the church. So I want us to read this and I want you to hear this. Dads, grandpas, pay attention to this because as long as you have breath, you have influence. And there's a power to your life, to your thoughts, to the way that you live. And children are observing them. It may be a child in your neighborhood. You never know. It may be a niece or a nephew. It may be a a grandson or a granddaughter. It may be your own children. It may be your adult children. But don't ever give up. Don't ever throw up your hands and say, well, there's nothing that I can do. Because it's the battle is won or it's lost in your heart. And in the influence that you have, use that. There's a lot of power in it. So let's go to Proverbs 3. And uh, Lord, speak to us today through the wise words of Solomon. Verse 1. My son, do not forget my law, but let your, circle this word, heart. Let your heart, that's important, keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. We ought to want the best for our children, shouldn't we? Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Sounds different than anger and hatred, doesn't it? Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. There's that word again. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. How many times are those two things tied together? Loving God, loving your neighbor. Look at verse 5. Trust in the Lord. With all your heart, there it is again, and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Good words. Do not be wise in your own eyes. It appears to me that verse 7 is the opposite of verse 6. If you're not trusting God, you're wise in your own eyes. 
Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. My son, do not despise, that means take for granted or overlook the chastening or the correction of the Lord, nor detest his correction. Some people get mad when they get corrected. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Just as, here's our word, a father, happy Father's Day, guys. Just as a father, the son in whom he delights. You say, well, I just leave all of that discipline and all of that. I leave that to mom. And you're just telling your child you don't really care about them and you don't really delight in them, that they're not really worth your time or your effort at correction. It takes a lot of work to be a parent. It takes a lot of work to correct a child. And notice in this how many times the word heart was mentioned. I heard of a preacher one time. He's standing by the back door after church and somebody goes, Well, preacher, you stepped on my toes. And he said, Ah, shoot, I missed. I was aiming for your heart. That's what we ought to be aiming at every time we preach, every time we teach, whenever we sing. And it certainly ought to be the way that we raise our children. We're not just aiming for compliance. We're not just aiming for obedience. We're aiming for the heart. We are God's tool to change the hearts of depraved human beings called our children. And by the way, whenever we look and we say, what is wrong with this generation? The same thing that's wrong with us. We're depraved and we're hard-hearted toward God and we're selfish, just to put it mildly. And our generation was like that. The generations before us were like that. They just probably didn't have time or opportunity or the means. I mean, they didn't have social media to organize a protest. How'd they do that, you know? Uh, they didn't have a lot of those things, but the heart was the same. And so when we look at these things, we realize that God has to correct the hearts, and he does it through a hammer and a chisel called mom and dad. And we want to be there, and we want to do that, and we want to be used. It's sometimes painful. It's sometimes hard. So I look at these things, and as a, an experienced parent, that's one way of saying I'm old, and... Um, as I look around and see the Word of God, and I look at this through 60-year-old eyes, I see some things. So I hope that you'll trust me and trust the Word of God as we look together on this, because we can make a difference. You say, can we change the world out of what we do? We could. If God grants that, we could. We could be the start of a movement right here and now that could affect the next two or three generations. Could happen. You say, well, what if it doesn't? You can at least have that kind of impact in your own family and in your own children, in your own heritage. So let's go for it. It's worth it. It's a joyful thing to do this and to know that in the midst of a dark world, we can shine as lights in our own home and our own family and we can have impact that we don't even know about. Some of the great leaders of the world would go back and talk about their mothers and their fathers and how they impacted them and we've never heard of them. But we've heard of their children. And so let's think about that. We can be that tool, especially dads. So what, what happens when I look and you ask uh, Pastor Greg, diagnose what's going on in the generation? Well, you're going to get a very, very faulty diagnosis because we've all got our opinions. 
But when Pastor Greg takes Proverbs chapter 3 and he looks at this through experienced eyes, there's a spark in him. And that's why I'm sharing this with you today. I'm passionate about this. And I believe it's right. I believe it's true. Somebody asked me one time, you think everything you preach is true? Yeah, I really do. You think I'm dumb enough to preach something that is wrong? No. Now, I may be wrong, and God will correct me, but I don't preach it knowing that I'm wrong. Good night. What do you think I am? Don't answer that, please. We were singing a while ago, and when we started changing key on the, there is a fountain, I'm going, water, water, I've got to get up and speak. And one time I remember I said something when I got to preach. I said, great music, Brother Dale. And it was great today, by the way, wasn't it? And uh, I said, man, those songs are wearing me out. And he goes, you ought to try to lead them. And, uh, you know, I said that, and I go, man, they, they wear my voice out when I get ready to preach. And I think it was Rick Saunders that came up and goes, didn't wear it out enough. So anyway, you're welcome, okay? Let's go on. Let's do this. Number one, what, what is the first thing that I see when I look at this based on Solomon's teaching? I think it's absent, what I call absentee parenting. Now, you can be an absentee parent and be right there in the home. You just neglect your responsibility. And I think for several generations, the idea has been, let mom teach them about Jesus. Let mom tell them the Bible stories. Let mom pray with them. You know, mothers, they're just good at all of that. But if you'll notice here, our verse, uh, you need catch, can you catch up on the slide or are we locked up? Um, the first verse says, don't forsake the, and notice it's the law of the father, the commands of the father. Now they center upon the heart. Okay? And if we're not aiming for the heart of our child, we're missing. This is more than just compliance or obedience. This is, we really want to see their heart to be changed by the Lord. Okay? Now, the thing that Solomon said here is very interesting because at other places in Proverbs, he does mention the mother. He does mention their commandments and all of that, but not here. Do not forget, he says to his son, he's writing to his children... Do not forsake my law, but let your heart keep my commands. And so, Dad, you can't back off and just leave this to Mom. There ought to be something in your family and in your home where people know this is what the will of the Father is. This is what the command of the Father is in the home. You've got to be involved in enforcing those types of things with your children. And if you're not, well, this is the... Uh, uh, tragedy of so many children being born out of wedlock now what happens they don't have a father in their home most of the time this is the tragedy of a high divorce rate so many times you don't have a father and a mother to kind of balance each other out uh, it, it's tough rules are one way at mom's house rules are another way at dad's house and dad's competing with mom and mom's competing with dad for the favor of their children and it just turns into a mess I think that's a lot of what we're seeing but don't just stop there because I see a lot of times, even in intact families, where dad just goes to work, I provide for my family, I come home, I just want to be left alone. And they leave everything to mom and all of that. So I want to beg you, don't be an absentee dad, especially if you're there in the house. 
You've got to have that. The command and the law of the Father, very, very, very important. You have Father power, and you need to enforce that. I didn't say be mean. I didn't say be abusive. I didn't say be a tyrant. I didn't say to be unyielding and unbending or anything. I'm just simply saying you've got to be involved in all of this. Don't just leave it to mom. Number two, notice here that your child can have a longer life. Well, you know, Paul said that, didn't he? If you honor your father and your mother, it'll go well with you. The first commandment with a promise that your days may be long in the land, that type of thing. Your child is going to do better if they learn to honor you and they learn to obey you. And that seems to be what Solomon is saying, right? He uh, is telling us here that uh, our children are going to have a better shot at life and long life and health and all that kind of stuff if we raise them right. I mean, we all know that. We all know that. But here's the thing that I thought of. So many people today engage in what I call short-term discipline. All they really care about is get off my back. Get off, you're, you're getting on my nerves. And you see that when you're going down the aisles at Walmart. Right? Are they really teaching anything? Or are they just simply saying, you're embarrassing me. Shut your mouth. You're embarrassing me. Quit crying or quit acting like a brat. And, and that's all it really goes down to. It's not really about the child. You see, discipline is not simply getting them to obey you now. Because what happens then when they're 18, they can tell you to go you know where and they do whatever they want to do. That's not our goal. That's short-sighted parenting. It's not just about making them get out of my hair, if I had any, and uh, that kind of thing, right? In fact, when I was raising my children, I had hair. I guess you could blame them, right? Uh, so you understand what I'm saying? And so many times we don't think about, you are raising your grandkids' parents. Right? That's scary. And you've got to think more than just about, are they doing what I want them to do now? Will they stop crying? Will they stop bothering me? Will they get out of the room and, and go do something else? That's not your goal. Your goal is to raise adults, to raise maybe a president, to raise a senator, to raise a business leader, to raise a CEO, to raise a pastor maybe, or a missionary or something like that. We've got to be thinking, if they're going to have long life because of this, that's what Solomon says, well then it's our job to equip them for that long life, not just to get them through the next 18 years so that we can move on to retirement and whatever uh, we want. I hope that makes sense because we're moving on to number three. Now, this one is the idea that everything is everybody else's fault. It's society's fault. It's the teacher's fault. It's the crowd they're running around with. It's everything and everyone else, but it's certainly not my kid's fault. And so parents start saying things like this. Well, it's because of them. What's going on with your child? Your child has problems. They don't pray about it. They don't weep over it or anything anymore. They blame other people. And so the child grows up kind of with the idea that, what's, what, what are you telling me? My mom told me I'm awesome. Who are you to tell me that I'm not? Who are you to bench me? Who are you to keep me after school? I don't even know if they do that anymore. Who are you to correct me or tell me that I'm wrong? I'm awesome. I'm perfect. Everything is great. And then they turn into what? Victims. Everybody's against me. 
Everybody, and that's what ha- is happening in our society. We've got a whole generation that thinks the government, the cops, everything is running against them because that's the way they were parented. That's the way they are shepherded. They're taught that all the time. It's never really their fault or anything like that. And that's why the Bible says, you know, Solomon to his son, don't let mercy and truth forsake you. We're not seeing much mercy or truth in our world today at all, are we? And we're certainly not seeing it in the way society is acting out or the way the government's being run or anything like that. Not at all. And um, he says down here uh, in verse 4, And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Now, I mentioned when I was reading that, those things are together all the time. In the book of 1 John, we're told, if you say you love God and hate your brother, you're a liar. Notice how the two are connected. Jesus said the first commandment, love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. Notice how the two are always connected. And so now as we raise social misfits, no wonder they reject our God because they don't know how to get along with God and the only way to do that is to come to faith in Jesus Christ and to receive his atonement and they don't know how to get along with one another either. And so everybody plays the blame game and parents are complicit in that. When I was doing youth ministry way back in 1980, I'd take kids to Falls Creek, and I was only 20 years old. And I would have a parent meeting, and I would tell the parents, I mean, they're old enough to be my parents, said, if your kid messes up, I'll call you, and you come pick them up. I don't care if it's 2.30 in the morning. And if you give me permission, I'll put them on a bus, and you can go pick them up at the bus station in Oklahoma City. Okay? It never dawned on me that a parent might sue me. It never dawned on me that a parent might get mad. In fact, back then, let me tell you what the norm was in my experience. More often than not, the parents, if I said, I got a problem with your kid, the parent looked down at the kid and said, what did you do? And I got backed up. Can I ask some of you who are school teachers, does that happen today? Yeah. (laughs) Maybe we could ask cops. What's going on? Now, am I saying that youth pastors are always right? No, because I wasn't. But we were backed up back in those days. Are cops always right? Absolutely not. They're sinners like we are. But back in the day, they were backed up. Why is that? Because there was a time when parental authority was respected. And I think that's where it rises or it falls. So, you've heard this before. You weren't created and called to be your child's best friend. You're called to shepherd your child's heart and prepare them for adulthood. And this blame game and victimization thing doesn't work. They need to learn how to handle bad people. They need to learn how to handle bad situations because they're going to face them all through life. This is not, you know, a, a carnival that we're living in. It's a battleground as we live in a depraved, fallen world. And by the way, we participate in that depraved, fallen world, don't we? Because we too are depraved and fallen and there's nothing good um, in us except the Lord Jesus Christ. So our children, when they're playing or as they grow up, they never learn to kind of compromise with things when they're dealing with other people. They never learn to see another person's point of view. They don't learn to apologize. And they certainly don't learn humility. And the Bible says that pride goes before destruction. And that's the way our society is going. And we need to learn humility. Before honor, the Bible says, comes humility. Teach your child humility. How to say 
I'm wrong, how to apologize, even to their siblings. And by the way, parents, when you mess up with your children, apologize to them. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength, and it'll build character in their lives. Okay? Do those three things make sense so far? Is that just common sense? Common sense is not very common anymore, is it? It's kind of, somebody said common sense is like a superpower. It's kind of true, isn't it? Okay, let's go to number four. How about this? Trust in God is minimized. What's wrong with this generation? Well, they haven't been raised to trust in God. And that's why the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. And a lot of parents are leaning to their own understanding, and so their children do the same thing. And a lot of times, instead of directing our children to the Word of God and the principles of life and marriage and sex and all of those kind of things, we, we kind of let them go by their feelings, and we let them go by what their peers say, and we let them go by what society says, and we let them watch only God knows what on TV and videos. And then we wonder what goes wrong. Well, I had them in church. If I've heard that once, I've heard it a thousand times. Right? Well, we had them in church. We don't know what's wrong. Can I say this? Obviously, I am pro having your children in church. I'd be a fool to say not, you know, don't do that or it doesn't matter. That's very important. But here's the other thing that I would say. What's more important is that you take your, for lack of a better word, take your religion home with you. Take your religion to work with you. Take your religion everywhere you go. In other words, if we're not careful, what we teach our children is behave in church, don't cuss in church, be nice in church. But when you're outside of church, it's a free-for-all, do whatever you want. No, Christianity is not a way of looking at certain things. It's a certain way of looking at everything. And that's so true in parenting. You know, if you wouldn't lose your temper at church, don't do it at home. If you wouldn't lose foul language, use foul language in the church, then don't do it at home. I mean, this is lifestyle. And so many times we kind of give the idea that, well, if you go to Sunday school and you go to a Sunday morning service and you do that from the time you're born until you're 18, that's really all you need. A little religion's good for everybody, but we don't want to go too far with it. And then we wonder why they reject everything. We're commanded to trust the Lord with all, A-L-L, all our heart. And that starts, of course, with the parents. And that's what we are trying to teach our children. This is a blessing. We don't want them leaning to their own understanding. That's what's going on in the streets of America right now. That's their own understanding. It doesn't make any sense. It's confusion. It's chaos. It's anarchy. We don't want that. We don't want that. So we've got to acknowledge the Lord, not just on Sunday morning, but in all our ways, and let Him direct our paths. Otherwise, we're going to be wise in our own eyes. We're not going to fear the Lord. We won't depart from evil. And then we face the consequences of it, physically, mentally, emotionally, in everything that we are. And that's really what's happening, okay? Number five. How about this one? you probably not really paid much attention to these verses in the aspect of parenting. You know how I know that? Because I didn't until just the other day. Notice what it says. Honor the Lord with your... I like my translation better than the ones that say wealth because when I see the word wealth, it gives me a way out. Well, if I were a wealthy person. I like this translation. Honor the Lord with your possessions. Possessions. Okay, so here's what I'm going to make for this point. How does that 
translate into parenting. Do you know we've got such a materialistic, indulged generation coming up. they got everything they could ever want. And we're afraid to deny them anything. We're afraid to say the dreaded word, no. And you know what our children are doing? They've got more things than they know what to play with, than they know what to do with. And they're bored with all of them. And they lose them. And they break them. And you know what they say? Well, just buy me another one. Just buy me another one. And let me tell you, that's a skill that they learn throughout life. You know how I know that? Because I've done that as an adult. I've done that as an adult. Now, I didn't have a lot growing up, but I had a whole lot more than my mom or my dad did. And my kids had more than I did. And I'm sure my grandkids have more than... I mean, where does it ever end? And where does it stop? And if we don't appreciate those things, what we have to do, I guess, I guess the point here is I'm saying we've got to start young teaching our children that they are stewards. That's your room? Well, not really. You didn't pay for the mortgage. That's my room. And I'm sharing it with you and I'm happy to do so. But there's the underlying thing. I heard a comedian say one time, he said, and the way I was raised, he goes, my dad walked around like he owned the place. Well, that's true, isn't it? And I don't mean that you pound that into your kids and all of that. No, we're joyfully sharing this together. This is our house. These are our toys. You didn't pay for those toys. That was God's money that I took and I bought them for you. So I expect you to take care of them. I expect you to put them up. I expect you to maintain them. We've got to teach them that because this idea of honoring the Lord with your possessions... That's not about tithing. That's about everything that we own. Mom and Dad, your house is not yours. It belongs to God. Those cars are not yours. You can't do anything you want with them. They belong to God. That money is not yours. Well, I tithe. Where did you ever get the idea that a tithe meant that that's God's part and the rest is yours? No. This is about stewardship. We are managing everything we have for God. Now, adults have a hard time with that. Why? Because we weren't taught that when we were little kids. Children need to be raised with the idea, this is not really mine. This is something that belongs to the Lord. So I've got to take care of it. We take care of our yards. We take care of our houses. We take care of our cars. We take care of the little things. Somebody said, if you will take care of the pennies, dollars will take care of themselves. A lot of times it really is in the little things. Teach them to be stewards. Teach them to take care of their stuff, teach them to appreciate their stuff, and that will uh, uh, facilitate a grateful heart inside of them. Okay? Number five. Uh, I got ahead of myself, didn't I? No. It's mine, and I can do with it what I want. I can break it. I can lose it. Okay? I've already, already talked about all of that. And uh, did I skip one? No, we got it. Okay. Senior moment here. Just making sure. Okay, number six. Here's the biggie. Here's the biggie. You ready for it? How dare you tell me I'm wrong? That's the world in which we live. Nobody can take a rebuke. Nobody can take a correction. Try it in church. People just go to another church. They won't learn. They'll just go to another church where nobody tells me I'm wrong, where nobody judges. Oh, that dreaded word, judges me. Do you know the word judge? You do that all the time. It just basically means to appraise something. Whether it's good or bad, right or wrong, helpful, unhelpful, valuable, non-value, that's just what the word means. And so sometimes my judgment is not always sound. 
and neither is yours. And that's why we go to the Word of God, not a guru or somebody like that. We go to the Word of God, and we let the Word of God correct us. That's why you're listening to the Word of God today. There are corrections that need to be made from all of these in our lives. But we're raising a generation. How dare you tell me that I'm wrong? And where there's no consistent discipline, that's interpreted as rejection. And the result is depression and anger. Where do I get that? Well, Solomon tells us. A father who delights in his son corrects his son. So what is the opposite of that? A father who does not correct his son doesn't really delight him. He just wants him to get off of his back. Just make them happy so they won't cause a fuss. This is too hard to be involved and discipline them. Have you ever grounded your kid and then realized you're really grounding yourself? I mean, amen, that's true, isn't it? Why? Because discipline is hard. And you're involved in it. It's a whole lot easier just to let them go. It's a whole lot easier just not to really pay the price in any of those things. Because it is hard. It'll break your heart. I can remember parents saying to me, this hurts me more than it does you. And I just thought, oh, yeah, sure. Sure it does. Sure it does. Then I became a father. And I want to tell you, it hurts. There was a time, one time, when Taylor got in a little bit of trouble and we were going to go after we got through whatever we were doing, shopping or something. We said we were going to go get ice cream. And I remember telling him, son, if you do that one more time, you won't get ice cream and everyone else will. Boy, how mean is that? He did it one more time. Now, now, now. Now, you can judge me whether I'm right or wrong. That's your business. But here's, to me, here's what it came down to. Does my word mean anything or not? Because good or bad, I wanted him to know and all my kids to know that if I said it, I mean it. Boy, ice cream doesn't taste very good when you're sitting there watching a little kid crying because he doesn't get any. And it may have been mean. And maybe I wouldn't do that again. And I certainly wouldn't do it with my grandkids, right? <laughs> right? But it boiled down to me that I cared enough about my son that I wanted him to obey. But above that, I wanted him to trust that my word was true, no matter what I said. See, parents don't say things like, you do that one more time, I'm going to throw you out the window unless you're going to throw him out the window. And you're not. Don't say things like that. That's S-T-U-P-I-D. There are little kids in here, and I don't want to cuss in front of them. Right? <laughs> And because uh, I get called out for it later on. That, that's, that's not smart. But when you do say something, you need to follow through on it. They need to know that your word is true because if they can't trust you in that, why should they trust you when you tell them about Jesus? Why should they trust you when you give them wise counsel when they're a teenager? Why should they do any of that kind of stuff? So all of these things, to me, make perfect sense. And the violation of these things make a really good explanation of why we are living in the world in which we are living. So don't despise or overlook the chastening of the Lord, nor detest His correction, because it's not always pleasant. For whom the Lord loves, He corrects, just as a father 
the son in whom he delights. And evolution and psychology are all based on the idea we're animals and there is no God, there is no right or wrong, there is no accountability, and then we get upset when our children live like animals. Something wrong with all of that. Psychology is based on the idea that everyone is basically good. And if we could just fix everything, then they would be good little people. It violates the biblical doctrine of total depravity. So be careful. You have to train your children. Proverbs 30, 11 says, There is a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. There is a generation that is pure in its own eyes, yet... It is not washed from its filthiness. There is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are like swords and whose fangs are like knives to devour the poor from off of the earth and the needy from among men. Boy, that seems to be the generation that we are in. So how do we correct this? Let's just take each point turn it positive. They need instruction because they cannot forget what they never learned. See, Solomon said, don't forget my law. Well, they don't forget it if you never taught it. Secondly, they have a future. Prepare them for all of that. Raise them to be good adults. And remember that you're not just raising children, you're raising parents, most likely. Thirdly, they need to get along with God and others. And the only way they're going to get along with God is one way. And that is to put their faith and trust in the atonement of Jesus Christ as the full payment for their sins. And that's how you got right with God. You turned from your sin and you trusted in what Jesus did and what Jesus alone did for your salvation. You believed that he was raised from the dead and you surrendered to him as Lord and you were born again. Well, that's what your children need as well. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Number four, they need to see in you that there is a God to love and trust. And number five, they need to know that they are stewards. And number six, they need to see correction as positive and loving. And we just fixed the problem, didn't we? We just fixed the problem. Except for one thing. <laughs> the problem's not really our kids. Let that sink in. The problem is us, us. There was a comic strip one time. It says, we have met the enemy, and the enemy is us. And that's the way it is. That's the way it is. We have a God of hope and a God of love, a God with a purpose, a God with a plan, and a God with the power and the love and the grace to pull it off. So whatever your age may be, men, hope in God. Be an influence for God. You say, well, I didn't do so well on all of that. Good news. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Confess it as a sin and let's move on. Because I can't do anything about my yesterdays, but I can do something about today. And I can do something about my tomorrows. Let's rise up, O oh men of God. And let's put on our armor and let's stand strong and let's be an influence. Whether you have children or not, you can be an influence and if you're actively raising children in your home whatever age they are maybe you need to go to them sometime and say hey listen I need to talk to you daddy made some mistakes and there were some things that daddy didn't do and I didn't do it because I didn't care and I didn't love you like I should please forgive me for that 
and then start making some changes. Don't make a bunch of promises that you can't keep. Don't make, make a bunch of bold statements that you won't follow through on. Just say that. Ask them to forgive you. When they say they do, give them a hug and tell them you love them. And then start making changes day by day by day. And then do something else for me too and we'll be through. Could you take all six of these? I hope you wrote them down. Could you take all six of these and pray for these things in the life of our children? Pray for those things. Pray for these things to come in the lives of demonstrators and protesters. I don't have any problem with people that protest injustice. There's plenty of that around. I do have a problem with criminals who loot and spit in the faces of cops and steal from other people. That's not the way to live. And I think instinctively we all know that. May God help us to be influencers. Or let's call it what Jesus did. Salt and light for the sake of a new generation. And for the glory of God and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we bow together today, we want to say thank you for all that you were doing, whether we can see it or not. And help us to do what you want us to do. And we pray this, Lord, because we fall so short. In Jesus' name, amen.